This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go. Every day giftable. Every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first 2-in-1 removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. All right, it's Film Study uh, with Ken McCusick. Week 7, we're going to look back at for the defensive play tonight. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing all right. This is a this is a tough loss. We knew this was going to be a tough game coming in with the Saints and Drew Brees, a good challenge for the team, but not the way we expected to lose the game. No, kind of kind of unusual. Uh, definitely, obviously, heartbreaking to lose it on the kick. I, I still can't figure out that kick because it looks like it took a hard right turn to go right to the uprights. It's almost like it was, you know. A very hard gust of wind came by to blow it right. Something you'd see in Buffalo, maybe not, not here. And and Tucker, 
I mean, he's missed very few kicks, but he doesn't slice the slice his uh, kicks right. very often either. Yeah. So before earlier in the game, the announcers did say that when they asked Tucker where's the hardest place to kick, he said at home, and it made me start to wonder as they have done. They did a lot of construction this off season, and they put those new. Um, I don't even know if they're up yet, but the new jumbotrons in the corners. Yeah, the board shot. Right. So were those corners open before? Yeah, they, they had open corners. Now, I wouldn't say that has too much of an effect on winds, wind on the field, but, you know, it's one of those things I really don't know. I, the wind swirls. Right. I have no idea if it is if it changes it or anything, but it sure seemed like something just grabbed that ball and threw it to the side. Right. I mean, it could, could well be. The smaller you make the aperture for air, it always seemed like at the old Memorial Stadium, for example – the better airflow you get or the, or the stronger airflow you get. So if you sat in Memorial Stadium up in the back of the lower deck, which had those openings that went out to the concourse, uh, not, the, not the concourse, that's the wrong thing, to the, to the ramps, then you would get a very stiff wind coming through there. That was actually a very pleasant place to sit. But uh, in, the, in, the, in other arenas you, yeah, you, you, where you have larger openings, you feel that wind less. Right, right. So, but now that the Ravens have closed off that corner, it just means give it another five, ten years, and we can put the roof on the top, and we're all good, no wind issues. <laughs> Probably. Um, but we don't need to really, we don't really need to get into that. We all saw that. We all were stunned. Mm-hmm. Um, the, of course, Drew Brees set another record. Yeah, I, I'm very tired of Drew Brees' records. In fact, all of the guys I'm really tired of, I really was hoping that Peyton Manning would just go away for good when he retired and you know we'd forget who he was in a few years and, and be less annoyed by him when we saw him the next time. I think he has understood his marketability as a weasel with the commercials he does now, and that's kind of been a good thing for him, and, and that's certainly the light in which I'll always think of him. So, so Drew Brees sets a record, and you find a way to bash Peyton Manning. Yeah, there you go. Uh, well, yeah, Bree's a classier individual as far as I've ever seen. That's certainly not as much of a commercial uh, and, hound as Manning has been. Right, and at least there was no on-field celebration this week. Wasn't bad, honestly. I was expecting something more. The Saints bench gave him a pretty pretty good uh, uh, congratulations, but it wasn't, wasn't any more than you've seen from a Ravens touchdown. It was less than the Weddle-planned interception in the preseason where the Ravens went nuts and going on the field. <laughs> true, true, true. Um Unfortunately, as he is Breeze's setting records, the Ravens' record came to an end as far as his second-half touchdowns. Yeah, so you know that was a nice streak to have, and it had gone back to 1934. So it was a, an 84-year-old uh, streak of uh, no no team since then had gone six straight games without allowing a second-half touchdown. Uh, I, I am fairly confident after watching this game, the Ravens will remain the best defense in the NFL. They're going to have many chances to prove it against good quarterbacks down the stretch. Uh, the, the streak was going to end at some point. It did, at least against a good quarterback. And we move on from here. Wait, you, you really think the Ravens have the best defense in the NFL? Yes, I do. Even though they, even though they struggle to get the turnover? You know, they've struggled in general to get turnovers this year, right. and they've still been extraordinarily dominant. Uh, the, the the pass rush and the combination of the pass rush and secondary has been good. This was a game where obviously they were shorthanded in the secondary. It really showed up. Uh, missing Marlon Humphrey was a very big deal. And then, you know, not having Averett to replace him was yet another big deal. We'll talk about some of that when we get to Jimmy Smith right. a little later. Yeah, and I guess traditionally we think of great defenses as defenses that make the huge stop and defenses mm-hmm. that – get the turnovers there you go and I mean, those are, this team's not doing that 
they're they're making they, stops, but they're not making the the big stop. They 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 have. We're going to talk a little bit about defensive variation. So let's get into it right now yeah, in terms of, of what that constitutes. So there's four ways a defense gets variation. They get turnovers, and that's what you're talking about right now. Yeah. So that immediately ends a drive, and it's the easiest way to get the other team off the field is to just get a turnover and get them off the field. Uh, the most direct way, let's say. The second one is penalties. This team is is generate a lot of holding penalties on the other team because they're beating them. They're beating them on the edges and run plays. They're beating them a lot in the in the pass rush that's causing some holding penalties. The Saints had the good fortune to run into a crew that didn't really want to call penalties in this game. And Teron Armstead got away with a bad uh, you know, holding slash IBW call that should have been called. It was both on, on Suggs on that first drive. Mm-hmm. And he got away with a holding later on Zadarius Smith. So he got away with a couple. Uh, I'm sure the Ravens got away with at least one or two as right. well, but uh, but you know it was, it was a crew that didn't really want to call penalties, and that made it easier for the Saints to complete drives specifically. Uh, they didn't get their their usual number of sacks. They'd been at 26 sacks in six games. That's 4.33 sacks per game. They only had one in this game. That's not enough to get it done. And then the big fourth thing they need you need strings of incompletions, and this is where Drew Brees took care of business. Drew Brees did not have more than two incompletions on any drive. On that was only two different drives. He never had two completions consecutively, nor did he even have two two incompletions on within a three or four down set. So one set of downs, he never had two incompletions. Right. So, so that that's the difference in type of, of quarterback Drew Brees is also compared to what they've been facing. It's certainly true, and I mean he's he represents the top of the board right now. He's got a completion percentage of near eighty percent. The Ravens actually reduced that because the Ravens held him up to about seventy three percent in this game. He'd been about seventy eight percent for the year. I'm not saying that's great, but no. And they it's, also it's, they they kept him down on, on uh, scoring. I think they're yeah. they were averaging thirty points, something like yeah, that. Yeah, thirty six points per game, and they held him to twenty four. So that's a that's a a positive. You, you'd look at that and you'd say the Ravens defense certainly. You know, did what what uh, you could hope for that hope them in this game. Uh, I think the the big problem was that the Saints were held to 4.8 yards per play. That's not very good. And you look at that in the absence of all other information, you say this is a game the Ravens should have won pretty easily, but they did not get it done in terms of these variation plays which defense needs in order to stop drives. And obviously, we've talked about this many times, but an offense that can generate 4.8 yards per play unimpeded by turnovers, penalties, sacks, and strings of incompletions, will drive down the field pretty easily, uh, getting first downs every three plays. So uh, that's exactly what the Saints did. They converted a bunch of third downs. The, the third downs they didn't complete were largely completed on fourth down. So uh, it, was a, it was a lousy day for the Ravens to, to get the Saints off the field. It turned out the Saints only had eight offensive possessions in this game. I'm going to discard the last one, which was a – you know, a kneel for one play drive. They didn't have a kneel drive at the end of the first half. So they had the they had the ball eight times otherwise, and their number of plays on those drives was 25, 8, 6, 12, 12, and 7. So they didn't have any three right. outs. So 64 total plays compared to the week before where we had 40 plays. Yeah, is is actually uh, sixty four was the Ravens' total number of plays. The the Saints had sixty eight plays in this game, sixty eight real oh, okay. ones, and that, and that takes out the special teams run they had on fourth down and, and a kneel, but sixty eight competitive snaps. All right, um, 
we talked about the unexpected ending to the game, but the beginning was very unexpected also with this first drive with the Saints where it was a 20-play drive and they, it was filled with fourth down conversions and challenges and it was a weird drive. Yeah, it's, it's miserable and it's, it's so demoralizing to have your team not to be able to get off the field time and time and then to get them to fourth down and then have the rug pulled out from under you on the on – the, uh, uh, you know the conversions and the fake punt and all that, and and then the other thing about this was it's just a, a terrible game for the officials in terms of spotting the football. And yeah, on that, that was first, irritating. That was that was quite irritating. On the very first drive, they had three missed spots of the ball, and we're going to go over each one of these individually because I want people to remember this and kind of imprint a little bit so they can be pissed off about this game for a while. But uh, the very third play of the game, the Saints were set up third and three, and Breeze hit Kamara on a pass over the middle for zero yak. We can all agree it was zero yak, and uh, it was, I think, Carr who stuffed him at that point. might have been Mosley. It was one of those two. And it was it should have been fourth and two. And if you look at the play, it's two yards short of the first down marker. But somehow they got a generous spot to make it fourth and one. Well, why was that important? Well, on the next play, fourth and one, Taysom Hill took the direct snap, ran up the middle. They used... The fact that you cannot line up over center to their advantage, got the play well blocked, and maybe they would have run it anyway on fourth and two, or maybe they would have thought about it and not run it on fourth and two. And if they hadn't, all of a sudden a three-play, sorry, a a 20-play drive becomes a three-play drive with a punt. So that that was a huge game-changing yard, or a potentially game-changing yard involved just in that missed spot uh, itself. All right, well, that wasn't, unfortunately, the end of it. Uh, a few plays later, the Ravens got to third and six again, and Watson caught a pass, was stood up by Carr. That means the previous one is probably Mosley, but they stood up by Carr on this play. And the play was originally spotted for a first down and a seven-yard gain. I think there might have been a bobble involved by Watson, but they reviewed it. And spots do not normally get reversed for as much as a two-yard mistake, particularly if they don't involve, right. like, did he have his knee down and maybe – did he not kind right. of thing? Just a straight mistake. It's just a straight mistake of, of, of the spot. And and they, they re-spotted it and set up fourth and one. Well, for starters, it was a, it's, a, it's a challenge of some questionable value. Now, now, Harbaugh probably thought the Saints wouldn't go for it because they were right around midfield. They're at the 47-yard line uh, when this got re-spotted. So he probably still hoped that they wouldn't fake a punt a second time yes. and that they would go ahead and kick it. But it was a, a questionable challenge in terms of the value of that first down there. And it, it, he, he, he took it. They got fourth and one. And then Breeze ran a QB sneak. Now, on that next play on the fourth and one, I can't see any indication that he actually got the ball to the line to gain. In fact, the play it really reminds me of is a fourth and one against the Seahawks in the closing moments of the, of the thrilling 2003 game at home where uh, they folded up Hasselbeck and basically forced him back um, at the line of scrimmage. And I think that's really what happened to Breeze here. There wasn't an attempt to extend on this one as there would be later. It was really a case of he did not uh, just appear from his from his body up top. And you can't see where the football is, right. but it did not appear that he had it. Now, what made it additionally funny is the official on the near sideline to the camera seemed to have him marked for the first down. The official on the far sideline seemed to have him about a half yard further back. And so that oftentimes the officials will come towards each other 
and they will mediate that difference by each stepping slightly towards the others, if you've ever seen that. So, yeah. So, what, yeah, what, so they go with running, the middle. They go with the middle. So they, 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 they take the average. But not in this case. In this case, the near official took over, spotted it, and then the ball uh, was, a, was a first down at that point. So I didn't like that spot. There's no way it could have been challenged, and Harbaugh didn't try yep. because you couldn't see the football from overhead. So just from his body position, it did not appear like he got the first down to me. That's, that's bad spot number two on this drive. Um, and it wasn't still, unfortunately, the end of it. The um, uh, Where's the third one here? The third bad spot. And this is all right at the beginning of the game. I mean, this, this is, is the a, first drive. It's going to set the tone for the offense, set the tone for the defense, and the rest right. are just having a horrible start. Right. That's that's right. Well, let's go through the, the other events of the thing, and I'll find it. I'll find it properly when it goes in there. So at, at 11 minutes, they convert the fourth and one. Then they they gave up a third and 12 completion, and that was really bad. Uh, Breeze completed it to Watson by the right sideline. Mosley was trailing. Mosley a very tough day in coverage. I don't think we need to go over this too much. I I thought in general he played well, but his 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 game in coverage was was quite bad. He uh, piled up a bunch of tackles. You do not want a bunch of tackles in coverage, by the way. If you're if you're a linebacker, you want to have your tackles. Uh, be be run stops if you can. Right. Um, then uh, we came up on third and ten again. Bruce threw a, a screen left to Camara, and this is with eight thirty seven left in the first. Play was three yards behind the line of scrimmage. By the time he got to the line of scrimmage, Terrell Suggs in the process of both getting blocked in the back and held by the left tackle Teron Armstead. He's a he's a a, uh, a Pro Bowl player. But uh, this was definitely a, 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 a both, a block in the back and a hold. Neither was called. It would have set up third and somewhere between 15 and 20 if the, if the it's a spot right. foul. But, but it would have been between those two yard markers, depending on how the officials had set it up. Yeah, big difference. But because they didn't, it ended up being fourth and two. Okay, and then they went again for it on fourth and two, of course. Not, they didn't feel like they were quite in field goal range. They're probably right, given the way the wind was, was taking kicks in the game. And Ingram ran up the middle for five yards. Good blocking. No way they could have stopped it. Pierce actually missed a tackle, but it wouldn't have stopped the conversion. So the drive went off. We're in another lousy place, of course. We get to third and two with the ball at the five-yard line. And the Ravens did a good job of jamming up the middle to force fourth and one. And then what happens? Taysom Hill comes in to take the direct snap as the quarterback again. Now, Taysom Hill, we talked about this a little bit with Deuce Windham, but he's there, Lamar Jackson lookalike. He was very effective in this game in terms of rushing the football. Ravens didn't have a good answer for him. And in this time, he ran up, set up an option play, pitched the ball to the outside by Kamara, but the, the, the toss was a little high. Kamara couldn't handle it. It was fumbled. As soon as the the... Uh, play was fumbled it was in a spot where nothing could be done about it because hill is the only one who can recover that and advance it so the ravens were the were going to take possession on downs the point i'm making there is that that turnover wasn't a real turnover in the sense that you're looking for turnovers it was a it was really a loss of the football on downs and then to make matters a little bit worse the the officials misspotted the football in a technical way after that because that should be advanced out to the spot of the fumble since it, it cannot be fumbled forward on fourth down. But instead, they left it at the six-yard line where it was recovered. Really tough game there for the officials with those bad spots on the first drive. It's the kind of thing a crew gets downgraded for. So there was three separate instances, one of them technical and two of them that were just judgment-related where they, where they messed it up. 
So there we were. And uh, uh, what else can I say about this drive? Uh, it lagged the, the fatigue from the drive, I think, lasted for much of the game. And the Ravens were in a fortunate situation this game where they activated six defensive linemen. And that wasn't their own choice. They wouldn't have done it normally. But they had so many people out otherwise that right. the only people they had left to to, to um, activate activate were, were defensive linemen. So they had everybody except for Zach Sealer active and healthy, and uh, and they did a they did a good job of rotating them. But where I did th- do think they faced a, a fair amount of um, of fatigue was at outside linebacker and also in the secondary where they didn't have any backups. So they had the only guy they had as a backup in the game was Cyrus Jones, who's been with the Ravens now for a grand total of probably about four days between two stints. And he didn't he he was in for one play when Tavon Young had a had a um, uh, equipment problem, but he wasn't uh, ready to play. So they suffered right. fatigue all the way at those positions. And you know, the spots of course cost them the Ravens challenges. The first one was on a challenge spot, the second one was on the challenged uh, fumble that that was ruled against them as well. And once they lost the second of those two fumble, those challenges, they didn't get a third. Well, they and they they won the first one, didn't they? They won the first. Right. And they lost the second. But you have to win both of your first to two get a third. in order to get a third. Right. And so by losing the second, they didn't get a third, and that meant they couldn't challenge the fourth and one play by Breeze at the 18 yard line on the game game lead or go ahead drive right. for the Saints. Right. Which is is a whole another discussion of of wow how the how do you fix the replay system and use it healthy without it being a a thing like that where a play that should be reviewed can no longer be reviewed because of stuff earlier and that's where they need to figure out something with an officiating challenge or an officiating review and get more of that involved without slowing down the game is the key I, I'm I'm with you, Josh. I think there needs needs to be a special officiating review that comes down, and, and there's a there's a very senior official there, and you know there are enough retired Mike Pereiras and all those other guys around to 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 have one in New York or have four in New York if you need them to quickly react to things on the field at various locations. Right. There's no you can always add an extra man to your crew, and that guy watches it from the from the videotape. Right. Uh, I'm I'm in I'm in complete agreement, and you know we we the more technology we've added to baseball, we've seen how the the poor strike zone calls have just brought the whole game into question. I mean, you know, we I, I don't know about you, but I want an electronic umpire. Do, do you... I I am more open to it now. Yes. Okay. Be, because with with because at home with HD and 4K and right. 8K coming, I can see the ball better than the umpire. So if I right. at home can see it better than the the person behind the plate, then yeah, I'm okay with a a, a electronic uh, strike zone. I didn't want it, but I think with technology now, you can do a whole 3D scan and all that in an instance. So it's not just hitting a box, right? Um, but back to football. Every week we talk about the dime, and the dime was used a little differently this week. Yeah, this this was a problem here, and and something that I I didn't agree. You know, I'm a huge proponent of the dime, and I and I, I love having Levine on the field when you can, and I think there's actually limited risk usually to having Levine on the field on first down, and this was something Dean Pease was incredibly afraid of, just just to an unbelievable degree, was that the dime would allow a third down conversion, and then the other team would be able to run the football on first down, which is really worrying about the how far the cart is going to drag the horse 
because your your third down plays are enormously high leverage and your first down plays are much less so. And so worrying about an extra yard or two, let's say that might occur because you're playing a little light on defense when first down occurs, is a relatively small matter. So anyway, this was the this was a game where Martindale did something very weird. The fourth quarter began with the Saints first and 10 at the Ravens 16-yard line. Now, First and ten is a time where you don't you don't put in the dime voluntarily, but you might unless it would, unless it's an end of game situation where the other team's trying to catch up down multiple scores yada yada. Um, in in this case, uh, they were uh, down, but it was a game. It was a they were on a place on the field where you know they still had the ability to run the ball, and with enough time left, it was just the beginning of the fourth quarter, like I mentioned. That, that they they had enough time to catch up. Well, anyway, they put Levine in the game, and they ran the ball four times for 16 yards. They recognized the Ravens are playing a very light defensive unit, and they steamrolled over them. It's the only time I've really ever seen a team do it successfully against the dime that I can recall in the Ravens game. In the Ravens game. So they had four runs for 16, sandwiched down, one pass for zero for no gain, um, uh, to finish that drive and pull them within three. So anyway, it happened again just a little bit later. So then it's Q4, 546 remains, and the Saints get all the way to the Ravens' six-yard line with first and goal. And once again, Martindale put in the dime defense. Very surprising. I, I, I did not understand why. But, you know, if any first and goal from the six, you just got beaten up with your own dime on the previous drive with the other team realizing you're light and just steamrolling over you. Well, anyway, the first play, they give up a one-yard run. Not too bad. Maybe they got a chance. And then they give up a five-yard pass for the touchdown, where actually Levine crossed the vector of the pass and would have been the guy who had a chance to, to make a play on it. But he, he didn't focus on Breeze and didn't, uh, uh, didn't avail himself of the opportunity to get in the, in the passing lane. So anyway, five-yard touchdown pass, beat him that time. But uh, I think... That usage of the dime, I think, is fairly questioned uh, by Martindale. I think otherwise, I've liked every risky change he's made this season, but these specifically I did not like, and I didn't like the timing of it. All right. Um, what do, you, do you think any of that was based on fatigue, that they had to use people differently? Um no, I don't really think so. I think I don't think they were fatigued at inside linebacker because you have two guys doing it. You have Owasu and you have um, uh, Kenny Young, and they neither of them played all that many snaps. We can we can get to that, but uh, you know they, they had players on the inside that they could have dealt with. They they did have two down linemen in the game, but they didn't have three. And for a lot of the games, they were, they were trying to stop the Saints run by playing the jumbo nickel that we've talked about. The jumbo nickel is three down linemen, so you get a little more beef. And then one inside linebacker uh, gets replaced by a defensive lineman. So you only play with one inside linebacker, and then you also play the nickel. So it's – you would – I would have thought that would have been a more reasonable way to get them stopped up from the six-yard line. But uh, for whatever reason, they chose to do it the way they did. It's not like they didn't stop the the Saints on the ground generally for the day. It's just – it seems like an extreme measure to go out there and dime after you've been stopping them every other way uh, and, and try and stop the run that way so close to the goal line, you know, for the score that brings you within three and the score that puts you up four. So those are just awfully important drives there to stop. 
All right. Um, let's talk real quick with a few individual guys. Um, and let's start with Peanut. Okay, so Peanut's been playing well the last couple of weeks. And obviously had a real big game at Tennessee with two sacks and, and a couple other stops. He was one of the one of the stars. I don't remember if he was one, two, or three last week. Uh, it couldn't have been one because it was Darius. This week he played 26 snaps, and that's uh, you know my estimation of it, so it excludes penalties. Um, he had a big part in the one fumble. And, and the, what he did is he got in position right on the edge to force Taysom Hill to pitch the ball. Now, Daryl Johnson made the point that Taysom Hill needed to, needed to force that uh, force Awasu to commit to him before he pitched the ball, and he didn't do that. Uh, and so Awasu was in very good position to tackle Kamara, even if he had uh, caught the pitch successfully. So it, it, he really made that play happen. He he uh, broke down the Saints on the on the play by the goal line, and that was really the biggest play of the game for the Ravens defensively. So it was the it was the play that stood out at end of the drive, and it still made us feel like we had a chance to win that ball game. All right, how about Kenny Young? We've been praising him leading up to this game. Yeah, I still love Kenny Young in terms of the speed and whatnot. He's getting a little bit less playing time, 18 snaps this week. Uh, didn't really have the standout plays. I expected him to be a big uh, coverage uh, person for for Kamara. Uh, I don't know to what impact he was uh, that occurred. I don't know how much he was covering Kamara in this game. Uh, Kamara didn't do a lot reception-wise, and what he did do was a lot of behind-the-line-of-scrimmage plus yak plays, uh, so it's really hard to say uh, if, if Kenny Young had an impact on that. And I, did, I didn't look at that specifically, but yet the fact that Young is getting less snaps is probably not a good thing. Kamara, right. two catches for 11 yards in the game, by the way. Okay. All right, and uh, finally, Jimmy Smith. Is he not in football shape yet? I mean, you know, you gotta you gotta look at that and you gotta wonder what it is. Jimmy Smith obviously is the player who let the Ravens down in this game, uh, you know, perhaps more so than Tucker, if you really want to get down to it. Uh, he had two defensive pass interferences, one on Michael Thomas that went for a 25-yard DPI, another one where he uh, got actually rubbed uh, or or picked, whatever you want to call it, uh, off his own guy, and he wiped out Thomas in the end zone to set up a first and goal uh, at the end of quarter two when the Saints scored their only first half touchdown. So, you know, a pretty bad combination of things. He got beat for a 32-yard pass down the left sideline to Thomas. That was 23 plus nine. Remember Deuce told us on the show that uh, Breeze hadn't thrown a ball 30 yards in the air this year? Well, that was 23 plus nine. That was getting up to one of his longest, and he had another one that was 26 plus zero later in the game. That was also Jimmy Smith, who lost Traquan Smith by the left sideline. And I cannot figure out why Jimmy Smith is where he is on the field. If you look at it, Cyrus Jones was in the game. And I thought, oh, maybe he screwed up the screwed up the play because he came in for this one play and it kind of makes sense and it was extended. But Cyrus Jones had good underneath coverage. The guy who, who was out of position was uh, Jimmy Smith. And it really looked like in zone coverage – he should have been glued to a man with how long that play had gone. So Breeze rolled left. The rule is you get to the sideline on the side where the quarterback rolls, and uh, Traquan Smith was right where he needed to be, accepted the pass from Breeze, toe-tapped in bounds, and Jimmy Smith was nowhere to be found. So uh, really tough game for Jimmy Smith. He had, not, he had played only 33 and 24 competitive snaps in the first two games back against the Browns and Titans. So I think it's reasonable to assume that some of his ineffectiveness was due to fatigue. He plays 67 competitive snaps in this one. 
all but uh, one play where he's taken out on a goal line snap. So, uh, you know, tough game for Jimmy Smith, and you really hope that the Ravens can get at least one back of Humphrey and Averett next week. Obviously, Humphrey is the guy they really want, but if they got them both back, I think it would be a good thing, and I think every there'd be playing time for everybody if they did. All right. Um, let's get to the mailbag. Again, You we go over this every episode, so three times a week we go over this, but you get in your questions by tagging hashtag on Twitter, Film Study Mailbag, or uh, sending in your questions in the comment sections on any Film Study article over on Russell Street Report. First one up, Ken, is from Brad, who wants to know, I'm going to summarize a little bit, but basically he wants to know, What's missing on this team that they don't have the elite playmakers? We've been spoiled in Baltimore with uh, Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, Ogden, uh, Suggs, who's still on this team. Bullware. Right, right. So where is the elite playmaker of 2018? Well, he's uh, he's playing for San Diego, and that's Derwin James, (laughs) who the Ravens, of course, had a chance to draft with number 16. They passed up on it, but, uh, you know, you, you want elite playmakers. They come at a price on both sides of the ball. And the Ravens uh, passed on Derwin James in their infinite wisdom. Uh, To me, the problem is not necessarily passing on Derwin James per se. It's the fact that they didn't get value for the pick when they traded him. And and they they really just got an even match of value when when the the players available, uh, James and Edmonds, should have caused a bidding war to to increase that price. And by the way, if you don't think that's – if that is not the case – then you draft Derwin James anyway because he's by far the best player on the board and probably a top six or seven talent. Definitely a top ten talent, let's put it that way. And it's rare you get a chance to draft these guys. You, you don't, Especially when you're drafting 16th, you don't often get a chance to draft, draft a top ten talent, but they did in this draft and, and, they, uh, and they missed it. So if right. you don't know where the playmaker is, that's where he is. And the other, then the other side of that argument would be that they knew they had a really good defense going in and they wanted to focus on the offense in the draft. That's true. And they did have a good young defense. And you could even say they were already stocked at safety, you know, with maybe up to, you know, four guys that they had. They didn't, they drafted Deshaun Elliott. And of course, he's not playing this year, but we still think highly of him. Uh, but, you know, they, they had four guys who were very solid. The problem is they're kind of older at safety. Two of their really good players, Levine and Weddle, are, are in the twilight of their career and, you know, may not have more than a year left. And, you know, the other part of this is if you get Derwin James, you figure out how to get him in there anyway. You know, he just he, right. he will he will you reshape the defense around him as you need to. Arizona found a way to do it and, and, and play with a dime back on most snaps. Uh, and, and, you know, they could do something like that with Derwin James and, and get a top downhill player. Derwin James going into the game on Sunday, and I didn't see what he did then, had three and a half sacks already on this year. And he was one of the, the, it was a little note that came out about disruptive players. He had the third most disruptive plays per snap of any NFL player, uh, according to NFL matchup. So it was an interesting uh, uh, pick. I, I'm very concerned that Derwin James will eventually go to the Hall of Fame. I think, you know, if you look at it right now, there's, there's a chance that there's probably about a 15% chance he makes it. So let's put that in perspective, guys. I'm saying there's an 85% chance of him not making it. I'm not saying he's definitely in. I'm not. We, we do not need to size his yellow jacket yet, but there is a 15% chance he'll make it. Uh, the chance would be about 10% simply based on his round of selection. Um, and then he, his, he's increased that probability by playing already better in six games than many of those first-round selections had played in their entire career. So... Uh, it, 
there's still a 55% chance his career is shortened by injury in some way, 30% chance his production falls off some way, but those are really the three outcomes. Uh, there, there really isn't another unless uh, somebody can, can make me think of what that extra <laughs> outcome is. All right, and yeah, you're, you're giving him a whole lot of credit six games in as far as the I, outlook for his career. But The were, outlook was great before he was drafted, but true. the outlook is has been corroborated with his first right. six games. Right, well, meanwhile, we'll talk about it on the offensive podcast where Hurst comes in and we're questioning what we saw in him. That's great. Um, all right. Uh, here's a simple one for you. I'll give you a break and give you a really simple one. Uh, why does the Fox broadcast suck compared to CBS? I think part of the reason is that they're not as familiar with the AFC teams. So they come in and they, they do the broad they do the broadcast when they're in the AFC city. Right. And because they're not as familiar with the players in the AFC, they tend to um, reduce the importance perhaps of the analysis of the AFC teams as they have less Ravens material than they do uh, material for the NFC team. Gotcha. But I'm not going to let them off that easy because they did something really stupid at the beginning of the game where they went to commercial every time there was a challenge. And for at least two of the challenges, we had to hear the results from the announcer because they came back after the ref already made the announcements. Okay, so that's that's some poor broadcast so, timing, yes. and uh, and I think the network is in charge of that, right? Because they have the guy on the on the sideline with the with the orange gloves who right. brings they, that back in. Yeah, they the networks CBS never misses that. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm going to give them that. Um, all right, uh, I am sorry, I'm going to mispronounce this name. Itamer is asking. It seems like the Saints' offense didn't open up until the fourth quarter. What did the Ravens do to contain them so well before that, and did the Saints change their approach, or did the D just get tired? Uh, probably a combination of factors, um, and, and it's really difficult for me to pick one. Obviously, the, the Saints early in the game were happy to grind at the Ravens with these long drives, converting fourth downs, yada, yada, yada. And they converted a fourth down, obviously, a big one in the fourth quarter, but the uh, uh the drives were more focused on getting the ball downfield and getting the end zone than they were extending drives and fatiguing the Ravens defensively. So I think if you want to pick a reason why when a team decides to play offense more aggressively, they generally can can move the ball more effectively uh, in the absence of turnovers. All right. Yeah, it did seem like just getting all, getting the defense off the field was a, was a problem. And I, so I gotta believe fatigue had something to do with that to give up 17 points in the fourth quarter after the way the defense has been playing so well in the second half. Hmm. Uh, final question is uh, Justin Tucker. Do we need to be concerned, worry about him? We all know the story of Billy Cundiff. He misses the big playoff uh, kick, and then you never hear from him again. Uh, he'll they'll, he'll look at this kick and he'll try and figure out what went wrong. But I hope. If he can't figure it out, he'll ascribe it to wind or whatever it is and, and go back to kicking the way he always has because obviously he's very successful. And I think there is a 99% chance that Justin Tucker never looks back on this kick and continues to go on and have a an outstanding career, as, as we certainly all expect him to have, uh, returns to his spot as the best kicker in NFL history. Um, and this is, this is uh, you know, an, obviously a very strange and very costly miss but uh, it's one he'll be able to get by. Right. It was not caused by the announcer's jinx because the announcers talk about how he's never missed one for the past two years. They've talked about it every time he goes to kick. Right. 
There you go. Um, but it, it is. When you watch the state of the NFL this year, everyone's missing field goals. This was a weird one to miss, and it stung because it was the game. Yeah. But uh, it's the state of the NFL today. But to, to go back to your earlier point about maybe the Ravens have done something to the stadium that's changed the wind, if if that's true, the Ravens ought to have been real careful about that because I don't care how much the fans love the board. One of the most valuable properties of this team is Justin Tucker. And if you build something about the stadium that might screw up Justin Tucker, maybe you got to think about taking it down. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I'm hoping that's not the case. I'm hoping right. it's just it's just a coincidence that we all – the weird thing is, going into this game, we heard the wind's going to be a factor. That's right. And then it was, it it was supposed to be a factor for Breeze. It, wasn't a fa- it was supposed to ruin Breeze and mess yeah. with Breeze, and it wasn't a factor for the entire game until the final 30 seconds. Right. So. All right, we got, we got one more question from here. It's not actually tagged to the mailbag, but somebody's saying, thoughts on a fourth rounder for a Kalechi Osemele homecoming. And that's from, from Brendan Hasselbein. All right. Well, what are your thoughts? Uh, well, I, I'll say this. I, I would be surprised if after seeing Amari Cooper go for a one that the Raiders are really willing to give up Osemele for a four. But I'm trying to think about what year he left, and he may be nearing the end of his contract or nearing the years where the, Ra- the Raiders would cut him anyway because he's too high-priced. So it, it's possible, and, and a fourth-round pick for Osemele would – I think do a lot to solidify the Ravens' offensive line issues. He certainly is the road grader they would need, uh, excellent pass blocker and run blocker. I think uh, uh, it, it would be kind of exciting to get him back. I don't know if the Ravens really can can fit him under the cap or what they would have to do to make it work. Maybe the Raiders would have to pay some of that uh, the cap dollars to make right. that work. But uh, but it's a, it's an interesting idea. All right, and and we're definitely going to get into the offensive line in the next couple of days because that was the story. Sunday morning was how beat up this offensive line was. Sure was. They ended up playing with only six offensive linemen this game, so that's that's quite a story. Right, right. Uh, all right, Ken, uh, what's going on over at Russell Street Report? I saw you've got something written up there now, uh, trashing the refs. Articles out there in the defense, much of the same stuff we just talked about, linesman's terrible game, yada, yep. yada, yada, and uh, you'll, you'll get to reread that again. Uh, and then there's a, a lot more detail on the pass rush out there. If you're interested, follow me on Twitter, at Film Study Ravens. That's also where you send your mailbag questions is at Film Study Mailbag. Uh, sorry, pound sign, Film Study Mailbag. I, I got to get this right. Hashtag. There you go, hashtag. Uh, pound there sign's also proper, but just not the lingo the kids are using. All right. I, I, I do want to be one of the cool kids. It'll be the first time. All right. So, <laughs> Josh, how about you? Uh, brand new Section 336 just went up tonight where we talk Ravens. We talk World Series, playoffs. We talk Orioles. Um, a lot of yelling this week. Uh, a lot of conversation about Manny Machado, the villain, who has really took the heel turn out in L.A., and uh, we both love it and hate it at the same time. <laughs> and then uh, we're very irritated at the Orioles and the fact that they've done nothing at all since they fired Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter, and that's costing them as it's time to sign players and GMs and managers, and other teams are making moves, and the Orioles are silent. So what about the loss of the uh, the all the three victors? Yeah, we, really two victors. We get into that. We, we lost the two victors, and of course, after so we record the podcast, and there's still hope that we can get this little this pitcher Gaston. Uh, and it looks like as we're recording this episode, that it looks like he'll be signing to Tampa. So we lost him too, and you've oh. got to wonder if some of this is the fact that we don't have a GM. 
at well, the time I to think, do the work. You know, some of this is obviously also they're losing to the Florida teams where yes. these Latin it players would sense. much rather play. Yes. So, yeah. Yep. So, all right, Ken. Well, we'll be back in the next couple of days with an offensive look, and then we're going to look ahead to the Carolina Panthers. That should be a lot of fun. So we're joined by an analyst, Billy Marshall, uh, who, who does a lot of work with the Panthers, and uh, we're lo- really looking forward to that conversation. All right, Ken. Well, have a good night. Take it easy. internet for everything you need speed that can handle anything xfinity delivers wi-fi speed faster than a gig go online call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today restrictions apply gig wi-fi requires gig speed compatible x5 gateway actual speeds vary not guaranteed winning comes in all shapes and sizes every day there's an opportunity for a win just like scratchers from the virginia lottery every day grab and go every day giftable every day fun it's where anticipation meets instant gratification And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a Scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.